0: Of a man. Scaramouche, scaramouche,
1: scaramouche, scaramouche, will you do the, the fandango? Thunderbolts of lightning, very, very, very frightening me.
2: Galileo, Galileo, Galileo,
3: Galileo. Magnifico.
2: Classic. Uh, Amici, fine. Oh. Oh, okay,
3: we gotta stop or we're gonna have to pay for it. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Hi, guys. Um
1: welcome we're, back. We're doing a show. They can't pull the episode if they don't listen to it. That's true. They can't. We're here to talk <laughs> about no one does, the so. real
0: the real Queen uh biopic, uh Wayne's World. That's right. The reason why Bohemian Rhapsody was a thing of this last year in twenty eighteen is because of Wayne's World back in 1992. Two. Did one, did one, did you him one. Ninety two. That's what I said. Yeah. Didn't you hear me? Uh Dustin, you wanna be the host real quick? Uh yeah. Hey, welcome to the Good Trash Undercast. We talk about the films you'll never discuss in a film today's course. This week's film is Wayne's World. That's right. W- which is all about a furniture retailer. Right? Sounds like well, yeah. it would be. Or like uh someone that sells like used television sets. Come um, on down to Crazy Wayne's uh surplus electronics. We are I'm a slasher of prices. Yep, there it is. Um so uh we're talking about Wayne's World uh this week and we're continuing with Women's History Month, the month of March, and this film was directed by the great Penelope Spheris, who had a very unpleasant time with this particular film, but we'll talk more about that anon. Um and we'll uh, also
3: talk about how interesting it is that she directed this Fictional film
0: about metalheads. Yes, and uh, the, the, <laughs> there's a much more interesting uh, real-life uh, documentary film that she made. But nonetheless, uh, we're here doing that thing here in the studio right now. We've got our uh, disembodied speaking brains, speaking heads, talking to your brains uh, here. But we have a guest host again this week. Ma'am, across the way, could you introduce yourself, please?
2: I've never been asked to introduce myself. I am Carissa... Sanford, that is weird to say out loud. I haven't done that very much lately. She's
0: recently married because I <laughs> married her, but she doesn't have my name. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, you just officiated the ceremony. I, uh,
3: for those of you not in the know that have been listening to the show for a long time, uh, Carissa is not only the spouse of a uh, friend of Good Trash Media, Nick Sanford, she's also my sister. That me. And uh, it's a real family affair. It's been a long time coming. Uh, it's we a close circle. This, you are always going to be on the show eventually, uh, and I think Big fan. Wayne's World. Oh. That's really nice to hear. Thank you. Lots
2: of years since the beginning.
3: Hey, look, you, you, hope, you hope your family likes things you make, if nobody else. Uh, but Wayne's World is a None film. None of my family listens to the show. That's probably for the best. Yeah. Uh, that's not true. I know one of your sons listens to it. Sometimes. Yeah. When, uh, when I haven't been especially naughty. Uh, I think he tries to find those episodes, actually. When I'm being super naughty? Yes. This one's for you, kid. Uh, yeah. This, this movie was a big deal for you and I growing up, right?
2: Man. Movies, et cetera, down the street. Yeah. Uh, they had the two for two for two deal. Yeah, two did. movies, $2 for two days. Yeah. And I think Wayne's World was just on repeat. We just watched it all the time growing
3: up. Constantly. Uh, for as long as I can remember. So I'm excited to uh, revisit this film with uh, the lens that we usually bring it. I'm so glad you're, you're here with us. Let's do this. I'm excited, So the other guys. voices,
1: to my left, who are you, sir? I am Arthur Gordon.
3: And who are you sir? I am the uh who, 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 All right. So so our Dustin's you obviously You don't want us to describe you. Dustin's obviously the Rob Lowe.
1: Right? Oh I'm not. Oh that
2: hair. Nah, well, Come physically
1: on. maybe yes. He hasn't aged much like, much Mr. like Mr. Rob Lowe.
3: Mr. Lowe. Much like Mr. Lowe. formaldehyde? He is literally <laughs> the
1: worst candidate for the Rob Lowe character though.
0: That's fair.
3: We're not going to assign roles. We don't need to do oh,
0: that. Oh, that's sweet of
1: you
3: to say though. That's like the nicest thing I've ever heard. That's fun. That's actually a very good point. Uh I guess, uh so hey, we're here to do uh, analysis. So, so you're you. Wayne, though, so right? You're, you
0: you're Wayne. I'm Wayne. You've got to totally be, yeah, you, be Garth. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: You've got to be Garth, yeah. Am I Stacy?
3: No. Poor <laughs> Stacy, man. Poor Stacy. So here's this movie
2: th- hates her so much.
3: Mike Myers. Now, you're Tia Carrera. Ew, gross. Oh, gross! I can't be. She can't be Tia career and I can't be. Wayne. that's anyway. no. Oh, I, I yeah, I, would, I wouldn't think about <clears throat> that. Mike Myers felt so bad. So the the uh, Stacey character played by Laura Flynn Boyle is based on a real ex girlfriend that Mike Myers had who broke up with him and uh, bought he, him a gun rack. And bought him a gun rack because she <laughs> thought it would be. He, she thought he would get it. Let he alone broke up. Gun. He broke up with her because he was getting too into comedy. or they broke up because he was like focusing on his career, and uh, she thought the gun rack would be the gift to get him back, because she thought he would think it was funny, and he did not get it, and uh, he felt so bad when the movie came out that he was like, hey, that wasn't all about you. I hope I hope you know, but that was a little gross, too. I'm sorry. So I think that's that's a, that speaks to Mike Myers' character a little bit, I hope. I you don't know. Who can say? But then there's Stacy's mom.
2: She She's is, got it going on. She does.
3: That's this <laughs> what the people say. We're going to go ahead and move Ooh. right past that joke, uh, Dustin. Why don't you tell the
0: good listener what they what we're here to do, huh?
3: No, nah. all right. Well, I'll do it.
0: Welcome to the Good Trash cast where we talk about the film you discuss in a film studies course, and this is an analysis show, not a review show. So, if you've been living under a rock and have never seen Wayne's World, do life right. And then, secondly, we're going to spoil the stew out of this film. All three endings. All three <laughs> endings, because we got the Scooby Doo, yeah, doo uh, yeah. doo doo doo. And so that's going to be a thing that's going to happen as we do the show. And we used to avoid spoilers, but now we don't care anymore. Why? Mm-hmm. Because we are. I don't know. We know that you
3: look, you've either seen the movie or you're not scared of knowing a lot about the movie before you go in. And in either case, just enjoy the film.
0: It doesn't matter if you know what happens. Just try to engage with it. That's a much better reason. I was going to say because we're petulant children. So, yeah, I'm all about that. I like my reason better. We got to
2: talk about it. We just we We just got to talk talk about about it. it. So
0: uh, whether or not the things happen, we will discuss in uh, detail right away. So there you go. Um, That's what's happening. Let's go ahead and hear A synopsis from Mr. Arthur Gordon. Have you put together a synopsis for this world?
1: All right. Let's hear it. Based off the popular SNL sketch, Wayne's World sees the rock and roll-loving duo's popular public access series get picked up by a local producer. As Wayne and Garth deal with fame and fortune, the producer soon drives a wedge between the two friends.
3: Yep, that's what happens. Uh, yeah. And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here uh, in the film because it it is very true to Mike Myers' experience with the Wayne Campbell character. It's a character that he was doing back in his uh, live sketch Uh, comedy days before he got signed on to SNL. And when they brought the character to SNL, he didn't want Dana Carvey uh, to be added to the character because he's like, no, this is my thing. Dana's like Mm -hmm. already famous. Let me get my big break for, for crying out loud. Uh, But I guess him and Dana finally hit it off. And
0: that was that. So there you go. That's the uh, history behind the magic. Let's talk about whether or not we like this thing. And again, we don't care about spoilers. So I go to you first, Arthur, do you like Wayne's
1: world? Tell me why or why not? Um, yeah, for the most part, I do. I think I don't know that I'd actually ever seen it all the way through. I, I mean, I'm familiar with a lot of the bits, obviously. I mean, they're pretty ingrained in pop culture at this point. Uh, but to sit down and kind of watch it all the way through, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I, it does feel so mile a minute that it kind of wears uh, like some uh, strong comedies do. We talked about that a long time ago in the, the, the Lego movie when you're just blasting jokes. It's got a jokes. thick joke density. Yeah, that it just kind of is a bit exhausting, uh, honestly, but I don't know that's necessarily a flaw. It's just maybe more of a pacing thing. Um, but I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, Dana Carvey's performance as Garth mm. is so, he's so nuanced. So it sweet. Is so great. I mean, it is, it is an all time great performance. I, I think, uh, just the way he personifies is very meek, And at times, very cartoonish character and brings him so much heart and emotion. And then when he has his little asides, (laughs) when he goes to get his uh, homemade taser out of the car um, and have those kind of moments, it is just fun to let him do uh, his thing.
3: He drops the pin at the meeting and begs the camera to follow him. Yeah. Yeah, it really does make the case uh, for. Comedy acting is, you know, a form of acting that we don't appreciate. Yeah. it's much like that Jesse Plemons role in uh, Game Night from last year. Where it just, oh man, yeah, yeah, it
2: yeah. just he was so great through
1: weirdness and sensitivity. Yep. A character manages to steal the film, and so I, I love uh, Garth here. I, I love Dana Carver. and he sadly didn't get a great film career and, and it's a tragedy i think uh rob lowe is kind of the stock early 90s villain because i think we see him in it, it's tommy boy or black sheep one of the tommy t- boy yeah it's kind of fun that he's this anti-snl uh, villain uh, in the early 90s yeah uh is is a good bit uh and, he, he plays high status against those snl
3: guys really well
1: yeah and you can really see i think myers laying the groundwork for austin powers later here and the way this is structured and the way it all comes together um but i think it just has a long line uh, in the tradition of that kind of absurdist comedy of of the the python troupe absolutely as well and and so this sort of surreal absurdist comedy i mean i think that's the best way to tackle a adaptation of a 5 minute skit mm-hmm. uh from saturday night live because none of the saturday night live movies really ever work um and i think it's because they go at them so straight and and try to turn these into feature length films uh, but for them to kind of just make this an absurdist, there's no point, nothing matters type of film, I, I, I think that works strongly in the film's favor. Uh, you know, some of the jokes are dated uh, and, and don't hold up as well. Uh, but overall, I think it's just a good time to be had. and It's you know, endlessly quotable, and Mike Myers and, and Dana Carvey are just a joy to watch. So I'm, I'm pretty pro on it. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Now, Carissa...
0: You're here because you like this movie. Um, that is why I'm here. I, I have two questions. Okay, obviously you do like this movie. I want to know why, and I want to know how much of it's nostalgia and how much of it you still like after the rewatch.
2: Okay, I'm going to go ahead and answer the second question. Go ahead. Because I watched it twice this last week. Wow. I that, Yeah, there's plenty of numbers before that. I mm-hmm. mean, kids were grounded from their phones and you know, what have you, friends, I was grounded from Wayne's World. I mean, it just, it was, and and quicken the Dead, which is yeah, just I, it, out
3: of I, all things. As I mentioned a few weeks ago when we discussed it. Oh, yeah. man. That, I almost had you on for that episode, <laughs> and when uh, the scheduling didn't work, and I was like, uh, all right, when we do Wayne's World, this is happening.
2: So Wayne's World, I, I do have a close knit with this movie, just because, like, friends growing up in middle school, middle school is, like, I think... Primetime, you know, camaraderie time. Yeah, you That's, find the same
3: weirdos that like the same stuff as you, you. You
2: find your, you find your pack. You find the things you like. You, I mean, I dove into this movie. I just did. But watching it as an adult, especially in the year 2019, uh, I have, I have some issues with how the ladies are portrayed here. I mean, Tia Carrera. is it Carrere or Carrera? Carrera. 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 Ugh, she's, she's a mega babe. She's a robo babe.
3: If she was a president, she would be Abraham Lincoln. Uh,
2: absolutely, she she's great, and she really does pull her weight in this movie. But I, uh, Stacey, and um, I think what was it, Claudia Schiffer as Dream Woman? Yeah, no, Claudia Schiffer oh, was the, uh, yeah the sh- the swing during salute. during their segment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. Some of it's icky for me still, but since I do have such a long line with this movie it's just it's dear to my heart just it is so quotable and it everyone has seen it on tv you someone had the vhs someone in your family had this movie somewhere everyone's seen it it's just dear to me for many reasons but it yeah there's there's a lot to be said about yeah. Stacy, th- poor Stacy. We got things we gotta unpack for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but overall, I think most of the jokes do hold up still. It's, um, Nick had never seen this movie until I sat down with him. Yeah. But a year ago we watched it together and he was popping in and out when I was watching it this mm-hmm. morning, but he, I don't think he finds it as funny as interesting. I do. So we, we were talking about it and it's just, it's not, there, there, there's some issues there. Yeah. Watching it the second time this week, I was noticing a lot more than i did having the nostalgia attached mm. to it you know is it, it the
3: same thing that arthur had where it's the the joke density just kind of wears on you
2: it's or? so layered yeah it's so layered and it's not i don't know it's not as it's not packed as well as i remembered interesting okay yep all right well fair enough Thank yeah, i've you got great. lots to say
0: fair enough fair enough well dalton do you like wayne's world tell me why or why not i do i
3: like it quite a bit i i think as arthur's mentioned it tackles the problem of adapting a sketch into a film very, very well. It's something we've talked uh, about uh, quite a bit on this show. We did it recently, and I can't remember what film it came up with, uh, but I, I referenced... Uh, it might have been a horror movie we were discussing, but I referenced uh, Key and Peel and their ability to kind of move between sketch and, and feature film. Um but, I, again, I, I think it tackles that problem very well. I, I also think it posits the question, uh, you know, to, to Chris's point about it's it's kind of dicey sexual politics. I, I think it posits the question, can you write characters that are so wholesome that their horniness is not offensive? And I think that's something that Mike Myers is trying to ask about. Basically, all of his characters throughout his career, whether it's Wayne Campbell or the love guru, which is uh-huh. much more problematic for uh, for different reasons uh, than the sexuality at times uh, or Austin Powers or now Tommy Maitland on the Gon sh- Gonk show or Shrek <clears throat> or Shrek for that matter. Yeah, I, I think that's a yeah. good that's a good point. And I think all of these characters have these kind of similar character traits of uh, an intense love for women. Uh but in a way that is really skirting the line of appreciative and leering. It's mm-hmm. just too much. It's Yeah, it's it's really skirting the line. And I, I, I think what he's trying to capture is that kind of like, that uncle or granddad who like flirts with your girlfriend a little too much. I think that's what he's been going for his entire career. Because, you know, you, you just kind of assume based on the way that Mike Myers has always created characters, that he these are all, like, extensions of people he knew, whether it's, you know, guys in the Canadian metal scene or, like, uncles who uh, still have Scottish accents uh, or grandfathers, you know, who come from the old country, as it were, and have come to Canada within the last couple of generations. So I think he's always trying to 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 fill out the inner life of these characters. And I think the moments for me where this really lands and maybe it'll be something we connect with uh, as we get into analysis, you know, the moment where... Uh, we, we see Wayne Campbell's interior monologue. He falls in love at first sight and his reaction to that is, whoa, what a babe. So this is a guy who has like a rich interior life and a, a, I think a rich like emotional core that cannot articulate it whatsoever. And I think makes him a really interesting character. Uh, I, I think Tia Carrera, as Carissa mentioned, is handled really well. I think you expect, uh, in a film from the early 90s that when a white character has an Asian love interest that the film probably going to exoticize her in ways that are gross. And I don't think this film ever does. I think when it does exoticize her, it's Rob Lowe. And it comes mm-hmm. across grosser. Wayne Campbell learns Cantonese to show that he's invested in trying to build a relationship with
2: Zee her. Ziza
3: Bindua. Ziza Uh Which leads to one of the funniest fucking <laughs> moments in this movie. Where Stop it. You're scaring me. There's, I, I mean, the moment where they are having a can- conversation in Cantonese and the subtitles <laughs> run longer than the dialogue <laughs> is so funny. Oh, man.
2: Funny. That is the... It's, yeah. It made me laugh. Harder than like any like I don't know when they when they just say like one word back in the day I mean anything they said made As a me sweat my who ass watches off but a
0: lot of Cantonese subtitles these days yeah it's very funny there it, you
2: have it
3: it's just so good and then I think the film has a really interesting moment later on where Rob Lowe orders takeout and speaks Cantonese much better than Wayne Campbell <laughs> does uh, and it's a weird flex right he he's talking about how much he knows about uh, Cantonese and. He knows the uh, oh, you're not from Hong Kong. that makes sense because I noticed your your accent it's more it, quan long yeah, yeah. He, and it just feels like I know I know you it, it mm-hmm. feels like he's he is trafficking on the social or cultural capital of her of her otherness in a way that's gross, and again this is, we're introducing some analytical concepts we'll get to later, but i I just want to lay the groundwork for this idea that we see. The gross example of male leering sexuality in this film and it's Rob Lowe it's not Wayne Campbell so what does that make Wayne Campbell a man who does a dance for his loved one in his tidy whities this is not a man who I think is gross and leering I think this is a man who just doesn't know that appreciating women can be gross and leering and I think we'll get to that but I think that's part of what makes this film interesting is it asks a very weird question uh, and again I think it is structured in such a way as Arthur mentioned that it kind of defies the way we structure films in a lot of ways, much in that that Monty Python school of writing a film. So I think there's a lot here just in terms of the the way you make a movie, the way you portray relationships, and the way you portray uh, authenticity, the way you portray selling out. And again, it also features uh, Mike Myers opening a door to a bunch of guys doing James Bond training. Yeah, which so, is funny. Uh, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's also got, uh, what's-his-doodle from Coach and Modern Family talking about- Ed O'Neill. And it's got Ed O'Neill talking about oh, stabbing Bundy, people. Yeah. Yeah. Never
2: done a crazy thing in my life before that night. <laughs> Just Why is out it the gate.
3: that if you a kill bit. a man in the heat of battle, you're called a hero? But If <laughs> you take of, his it, life it, in the, the heat, heat of passion. passion, it's murder.
1: Ed O'Neill's incredible in this yeah. film.
0: It is
3: different. <laughs> this is an incredible film, and everybody who says otherwise is wrong. Dustin, what do you think about Wayne's World, you idiot? <laughs> okay,
0: so- uh I'll start with what I like. Okay. Party pooper. I'll allow that. Hey Arthur. Hey. Hey man. You ever look at Bugs Bunny when he's dressed up as a girl <laughs> and find him attractive? <laughs> no. N- n- Do you? Me neither. No. You know it's a real laugh from my Michael. Yeah, uh, Mike yeah it's so it's a great. different take. Yeah. Like, okay, so that's like an interesting like bit. Like there's a weird way in which like it plays with sexual politics in a way that like is fun and interesting and off the beaten path, and there are moments of that in the movie that I like. I, I, I mean, Ed O'Neill's bits, I'm like, ooh, yeah, let's talk about this sort of, like, post-traumatic stress, stress-disordered Vietnam vet that we're dealing with here. Like, let's wrestle with that and deal with it in terms of comedy. Like, I'm all about that. Um, the you know, social capital that um, Rob Lowe's carrying around. Let's, let's, let's lampoon that. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about how this crazy set that he puts Tia Carrera on to do her music video, in which... Call back to Blade Runner from two weeks ago Which she's kind of having sex with a snake Like that's a thing That's like really interesting And like let's yeah. do that But then there's the rest Of the movie Which is pervy as all get out And I, I, I understand what you're saying Where he's like trying to achieve some wholesomeness I didn't say it succeeded But yeah I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it, it, it's it's bothersome and it's yeah. troubling, and, and it should be. You know, that being said, I mean, is nostalgia wise, is it fun? I okay, this is this is my my Wayne's World story. I once was at a uh, a church party for a church I didn't go to. Okay. This is a Church of Christ church, and yeah. I'm not trying to like like.
3: Okay, I'll, I'll step in real quick because I don't want you to say something that's going to get you in trouble on accident. I don't think I, I will. But... I get you're you're trying to be diplomatic, and that's good. I don't understand what that, that means. Is it surprising the Church of Christ is playing Wayne's Oh, yeah. It, okay. t-
0: it tends to be – no, so they weren't. So I was at their <laughs> church, and they have, like, this selection of videos that are, like, somewhere laying around for this youth event. Gotcha. And I was, like, again, not, not a member, not an attender, whatever, but I was at a party. How old are you? And I'm, I'm, I'm 12, okay. maybe. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm, like – Hey, we've got videos here. Let's throw Wayne's World. Wayne's World, I've heard, is fun. So we're watching this movie. Oh, so this is like right after it came out. Yeah, too. yeah. And some youth pastor types like, oh, we're not watching this at church. I'm like, well, why the hell do you have it at church, man? Uh, yeah, you're the <laughs> one that brought it. Like, like it's like it was in it's like in your church, dude. Um, so get your own stuff together. And I'm like, this is a band movie. Oh yeah, I'm all in. So I watched it a bunch because you know it was naughty apparently, and it's funny and I laughed a minute and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it is weird. Again, the uh, Laura Finn Boyle's character, Stacy, is just. It's tragic and sad. Tia Carrera is totally objectified, and uh, she's an object that's equated to owning an electric guitar. She will be mine. Oh, oh yes, she, yes, she, she will, will be, be mine. mine. Just like a guitar. Yeah, that's a problem. Uh, no, thank you. No, not no. Okay. Thank you. No. Women aren't guitars. No, they're 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 not objects. Yeah, and I, I'm mad about it now. And so yes, I laugh. I think. The phrase "swing" is funny. I do the a sphincter says what to my kids.
2: Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah.
0: Still, <laughs> still. <A> sphincter <laughs> says what? A Sphincter
2: says what? Exactly.
0: And I've only just now explained it to my oldest. He's like, "Oh, Dad, you're the worst." I'm like, "Yeah, I know." Um, and just I the care.
2: worst, Dad.
0: And I don't. I don't even care. So there are bits that are great, and I think there are bits that are interesting. But overall, I find it a little repulsive as I watch it. And uh, so Mike's, ex- even though I've got like the nostalgic love for it, I'm like, hmm. And I
2: did feel that that's the second time I watched it. It was just, I don't, I don't know. Something changed in the way I, I was like, I don't know. Well, Maybe I, it's the Women's Day vibe going on. I think on that's the benefit of watching
3: something multiple times like in close succession. I had
2: I had to yeah. because I hadn't recorded with you guys before. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I need it to be fresh. You know, there's a lot going on. and
3: You needed a, to buff the nostalgia sheen off of it. I did. So you could watch it again. The
2: first time was an enjoyable watch. And the second time was engaging I just was not happy about it. I feel
3: you.
0: Well, I've got a a little bit of a Hitchcockian read of what he's doing with his women there. Okay. Um, So Uh more on that
3: anon. Well, we've introduced some some good concepts. We're all, I would say, at least mixed or pro, though, right? Is that kind of where we're coming down at this point? So let's uh, do what we do next and uh, build the syllabus out a little bit, huh, Dustin?
0: uh, So we're going to expand the syllabus. So you're teaching some insane course in college. I don't know what course it would be. History of comedy. History of. Okay. Um, And you are. Musical
3: comedy? Canadians and American
1: cinema. (laughs) 101.
0: Yeah. Queen movies, um, that's, that's, that's the class. It's, 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 it's actually just
1: 12 weeks of this. It's two <laughs> weeks
0: long.
3: But you teach this, and then you really keep them on their toes and watch uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and then Tu Wong Fu. You really confuse them with what you mean by queens a lot.
0: Oh, man. Uh, yeah, that would be a great class. I would teach that class tomorrow. So
3: anyway, you're teaching Uh, Wayne's World.
0: You're teaching Wayne's World for a week, and you're going to additionally suggest films or other books or whatever to read, and this is how we're going to engage this particular topic. I go to you first, Arthur. What else do you build out the syllabus with this week if you're doing Wayne's World?
1: I think it is a history of comedy thing. I I, I, I think I would go back and, you know, this absurdist style of comedy that we don't really see as often, um, ever since kind of the screwball comedy entered, we've... Really delve more into romantic comedies or more straight-laced buddy comedies or road movies, Uh, but that absurdist style going back to the Marx Brothers or or the Three Stooges, ooh, like Duck Soup, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, and and then you know kind of coming up to uh, you know Britain really takes us over with the Carry On films, Uh, and then we've got the the Python troupe, and I really think you watch uh, Holy Grail with this. Uh, I I think we've kind of got that same idea of. This sets out to tell you, oh, this is going to be a pretty straight story. And then it just flips the script on, on what that is and introduces all of these kind of surreal, absurdist elements, almost making it a very live action cartoon type thing. The way, uh, when Garth sees his dream girl in the donut shop and has just fate pushes him against the wall, you know, those kind of cartoony reactions, even Mike Myers, when he sees it maybe when he sees uh, Tina Carrera for the first time and he kind of does the, an audible, uh, version of his eyes coming out of his head. Mm. <laughs> uh, there's all those types of cartoon bits here. Um, and so I think it's playing in a long tradition of absurd comedy that we just don't get as often anymore. And, uh, it's mixed a bit with satire and parody and, and meta narrative. Um, and it really makes it work. And I think, you know, Python does the same thing with with the Holy Grail. It's it's playing in all those same uh, adjacent realms and I think has a lot of the same problems as far as, you know, sexual politics and things of that nature as well. Um, which may just be inherent to the tradition of, of, of that genre. But uh I would go with uh the the Python boys. Yeah,
3: I think that's a good I think it maybe is something about the mindset of a male comedian too. This uh guy with a lot to say, uh I, just the, I think the type of personality that comedy attracts, uh, specifically white, the this the white men that comedy attracts. Uh, I think you're right, Arthur. There's there's something there in the lineage that is worth parsing through for sure.
0: All right, Carissa, you are locked into a classroom. This may sound like hell for you. I don't know. Um, and mm-hmm. you are teaching a class, but you get to do Wayne's World, but you are now obligated to do other things. What would you do with Wayne's World?
2: You know, I had a bit of a running list here. But aside from the sexuality going on with Wayne's World, I was going to go with Weird Science here.
3: I think that's a great that's pick. A nice yeah.
2: And yeah. American Graffiti. Yeah. As far as the camaraderie they're, they're goes. They're driving around
3: hanging out movies.
2: Misfits, man. Yeah. It's all about, like, when they're playing hockey in the street. He said "Um, he, they're talking about selling out to Rob Lowe. And, you know, they're talking about... um." Led Zeppelin didn't write tunes everyone loved. They left that to the Bee Gees, and I feel like that's (laughs) people left that to John Hughes to make a, you know, feel good movie. Wayne's World isn't exactly a feel good movie to everybody, but it's a, it's, it's just, it's freaking quotable, man. It's just, that's kind of all it is anymore. But, you know, you get a lot more with movies like John Hughes movies, and, um, gotta throw stepbrothers in there, man. Yeah,
3: I, I think it carries on that lineage of like, uh, Man-child movies in yes. a very interesting way.
2: Big old man babies. I mean, I wouldn't say I would like. <laughs> Have you guys reviewed Step Brothers? No, we haven't. We don't no, do. We, we don't actually, do enough no. comedies
3: on the show, honestly, and it's it's because. I, I think we always hit a wall with comedies a little bit when it comes to analysis. There's
2: something I, there. There really is.
3: I think there's something there with Step Brothers. And I think there there is something. I, I, I think this film, we've done more comedies, I would say, in the last year than we've really done mm-hmm. ever. Uh, right. And I, I think the more we broach comedy, the more we find there's a lot to talk about. It's just often there's some overlap. That's how we do it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I had one more was a uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Ooh. Ooh nice. Yeah. As but, far as music yes. goes, you know, the, the M- music, music cues kind of in Wayne's comedy, World. Yeah. Man, they they do hit really yeah. well, and I've I've got to give props for that one.
0: All right, well played, well played. Well, what do you say, Dalton? You're teaching a class. Wayne's World is on the syllabus. The most important thing
3: that the class is going to have to get into is the Chris Gethard Show, which is, it, for all intents and purposes, the real-life Wayne's World. So Chris Gethard's a New York-based comedian. I don't know if any of you are familiar with him. Uh, but he did the show called The Chris-, Chris Gethard Show. It started as a live show that they did at the UCB Theater in New York and then became a public access show that they did on Manhattan Neighborhood Network. Uh, and they did the public access version for... Uh, several years, and then got 20 episodes, 21 episodes on Fusion, and then another 26 on True TV. So it is the real-life story of a public access show that got bought by cable, and that show is now defunct. Uh, but I, I think looking at the Chris Gethard show as the real-life analog of Wayne's World is super interesting, because Chris Gethard does kind of have a similar ethos. He, he is a, a guy that ha- is a comedian but has very DIY punk rock sensibilities, and is all about, you know, artistic integrity. And and I think examining how that show continuously, excuse me, listener, uh, had to reformat what it was. It was a live show, then it was a public access show, then it was a cable show, then it got moved to another network, and it's constantly having to evolve and change. And how do you take something that was meant to be weird and live and one and done and over forever, how do you take something ephemeral and goofy like that and bring it to cable and stay true yourself. Keep that stamina. Well, yeah. And how do you keep the stamina that you know that hustle that you have to have when you're not getting paid to make things? Right. How, when your your financial needs are being met by the things that you do for creative reasons, mm-hmm. how do you? Yeah. How do you keep that hustle going? Right. And I, I think that's a great. You know point of comparison. Uh, I think next you got to look further at the life and work of Michael Myers, and you got to look at The Gong Show and this fantastic character he's created for this revival of The Gong Show, Tommy Maitland, which uh, again, I think is everything we've talked about so far, about the sexuality of Mike Myers' comedy. Uh, I, I think Tommy Maitland kind of encapsulates and he's finally old enough that the character he's always tried to do is something that he can do now, if that makes sense. I don't think he's ever been old enough to show how that character is creepy and yet wholesome and likable, and I, I think the Gong Show he's able to do that very, very successfully. Never
2: heard of those guys before.
3: Who, who which guys?
2: Both these. Uh, well, or Tommy Ma-
3: Tommy Maitland is a Mike Myers character. He is so. If you if you're not aware, of the Gong Show remake uh, or reboot, whatever that they're doing for NBC, it has Mike Myers hosting as this fictional TV presenter from oh, the UK. That's right. Yeah, he's got okay. this big prosthetic nose and this this wig, and yeah, right. he he looks like a totally different person. The makeup is incredible. I've
2: got to be honest, aside from this movie, I'm not a big Mike Myers fan. Well, I am just not. There's not a lot of good ones,
3: and that's uh, that's why and I... And
2: Glorious Bastards, his little cameo there is nice, but, but it's th- not him. That's you know? why I
3: didn't bring up uh, you know, the the Austin Powers films, even though I, I think there's something there with those. Maybe we'll get to those someday, but I haven't seen them in long enough to really talk about them. But I, I think Tommy Maitland on The Gong Show is a really great kind of point of comparison. Uh, next up, a, a film that I just recently caught up with for the first time, I think you should check out Adaptation from Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones, because it, it asks a lot of these questions we've been talking about. How do you adapt something like this? And I think Adaptation struggles with the the legwork. I mean, we've done two weeks in a row now, three if you count Blade Runner, uh, of ad- adapted films, films that are coming from a existing source material. And I think Adaptation, um, especially now that we've gotten to Wayne's World, which is kind of the hardest thing to adapt. Uh, you know, we started with Blade Runner, that's a novel. We've got Pet Cemetery, also a novel. Now we're adapting a sketch television show. And adaptation I think asks those questions. How do you make something that's not a film into a film? And it does so in a way that is deeply fascinating and deeply interesting and fundamentally about like the creative process and integrity. The same things that Wayne's World's about when you get past the surface, that is the jokes and the silliness. And I I think adaptation, you know, coming out 10 years after Wayne's World, uh, I I think kind of really walks in its footsteps a little bit because I think the weird... Surrealism entered comedy in the 90s in a very real way that I think primed audiences for the the stuff that came in the late 90s and the early 2000s. These kind of meta narratives like adaptation. Uh, So that's why I say you do that. Uh, You also need to know more about the history and the continued history of Canadian comedy. You've got to check out Letterkenny, which is this absolutely incredible uh, sitcom that uh, Uh airs on a what's that?
2: Oh no! Go ahead. I was gonna. I was gonna say Schitt's Creek as well okay, as yeah. as well as Canadian comedy. Yeah, goes. Schitt's, Schitt's Creek
3: is uh, another uh, one that I know you love, Chris. And, uh, I love it dearly with uh, Eugene Levy and his son uh, Daniel. His Levy, son Daniel Levy, yeah. so handsome, and
2: Catherine O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara, so good, the best.
3: But Letterkenny is uh, kind of the same thing. It's a guy who, much like Mike Myers, tried to make it in Hollywood. Realized that he wasn't getting the roles he wanted and decided to do it himself and created with uh, some of his friends this sketch comedy show about growing up in, in rural Canada and uh, what it's like to be a Canadian redneck but also live in a town with uh, Canadian goth uh, kids who do too much meth. And, you know, uh, you get into fights over uh, who who's can sell cigarettes. How
0: much is too much meth?
3: Uh, that's that's truly a question we've been asking ourselves for a very long time <laughs> uh, <laughs> Now is a good time to remind you, listener That uh, most ADHD medications are just amphetamines So uh, remember, uh, everything in moderation, including moderation uh, But yeah, I, I think Letterkenny does a really great job of building out uh, That continued literacy with uh, you know, Just because people speak the same language as you Does not mean their comedic sensibilities are the same as you Uh, So I think bringing in Canada's rich comedic tradition, uh, look, I'm not trying to pat Canada on the back too hard, but they're funny. Uh, And I think Letterkenny is a really great example of that, and also a great example of comedy that is often dicey. I think Letterkenny kind of walks up to the line of punching down sometimes and uh, not being uh, super inclusive, but I think it's trying to do the same thing that Wayne's World is doing, where it says, people who say and do gross things are not always bad people. They're just kind of misinformed or uneducated uh, or uh just have a different background than uh than others and you gotta you gotta work with them sometimes, man. It's uh, like people
2: only do things because they get paid. That's just really sad. And it's very sad.
3: So that, those are the things that I'm gonna recommend you use to build out the syllabus. I know that's a lot of homework, but I think uh Wayne's World deserves the homework if you're really going to ask yourself questions about this movie. Dustin, uh, what 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 say you? I know you mentioned your syllabus this is not super long this week.
0: Not super long. Uh, so the first thing I would want to say is um, a book, um, Dick Hebling's uh, s- Subculture. Uh, okay, because yeah. this movie is all about sort of being part of that sort of metalhead. Or rock and roll. I mean, this Aerosmith T-shirt, so we're not really doing metal, are we? But um, and Queen, <laughs> which is not metal either. No, but so glam it's, rock. it's very glam rock. It's very, very much into that sort of uh, subculture kind of thing about being a poser or not being a poser kind of thing. Well, and I think this
3: this uh, helps make Wayne's world more interesting. And I think uh, Letterkenny uh, is all about social circles and stuff. So again, I think we're
0: this is good homework. So I think I think his a very very short little book uh, would be a great place to start with that. The second thing I would recommend is a uh, short film. Uh, from uh, Georgia Mike Kuchar, uh, which is called Hold Me While I'm Naked, which is probably the best title of a movie ever. Beautiful. And it's a 1966 uh, 16 millimeter full color. Um, you know, independent art film is probably half an hour long. And uh, it is this crazy, steamy romance story where this film director is trying to make this movie and he wants his girlfriend to do this nude scene with the other actor and is very awkward about asking about it. And then suddenly she he sees her in the shower with the other person and it gets very, very uncomfortable and it's hilarious and also Kuchar's gay. And so let's queer it up a little bit. And that would be a lot more fun, I think, in terms of discussion in a way to sort of complicate the Bugs Bunny uh, when he's dressed up as a girl bits, and also just sort of wrestle with all those other sort of sexuality uh, questions that are going around with the film in con- in conversation with Heblings, subculture stuff, and what does it mean to be a sellout or a poser or a fake or whatever, and then you ask the question, a sphincter says what and move on from there. So that, I'm
3: surprised you didn't recommend uh, are
0: we going to talk about Penelope Sphears' other work? Um, yeah, I think so but uh, okay. You don't think it needs to be paired with this film? I don't think so because it's a different animal. I mean, the rockumentary is not what this thing is doing. That's, that's and true. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I almost wanted to save it, I guess. But I, if we were doing the old-fashioned Elser instead, um, instead, I'm saying. Yeah. Instead, you should watch The Decline of Western Civilization. Part one or part two? Part one because of germs. Gotcha. Be- <laughs> Because the germs. And that's s- fair. That's enough. I, I mean, yeah. I guess
3: I, I just assume you go with part two, which is the one that because part one is about the uh, the expansion of punk rock from New York to L.A. Right, uh, and then part two is, is about the. Uh, it's more metally. It's more metally, but it's also more about the excesses of people who are making it in the Hollywood metal scene of the '80s, uh, and then three is about homeless gutter punk, so it's kind of a different thing too. Yeah, but I think two is you know all about the people that the cast of Wayne's World look up to and Mm -hmm. I I think that's interesting Uh, it's interesting in that regard
0: I mean I I would say Penelope Spirits is a great documentary filmmaker and she's a pretty good feature filmmaker Um, I think Mike Myers again was very mean to her and really? Yeah, there wow. are there are stories you can read the IMDb trivia and all this kind of stuff to find it. But Myers was a bit of a prima donna on set. Mm-hmm. Like would I to, read that. Yeah, would go to like to the the breakfast cart and didn't have his favorite flavor of donut and turn over the table
2: and, and go, lock like, himself in his trailer for like the like, rest of the day. Michael. Yeah. I know. Yeah, he yeah. sucks. Well, yeah. this
3: makes sense why he's making phone calls to ex girlfriends after the movie, right? This it, is I, you, this makes you wonder about somebody's interior life uh, about whether or not they know their behaviors.
0: Bad. And then doesn't get the lady director back for Wayne's World too. Whoa. Spheres didn't come back for two. Nope. Damn.
2: I have not seen the second one. It's bad.
0: It's fun in ways that Wayne's World is fun.
2: So I've I've only seen Back to the Future, the first one. Just haven't done the others.
0: Hey, you know what? Um, once you've been, you know, lifted up, why set yourself up for possible disappointment? So, amen. Amen. But, amen. But part two is the better of the uh, of the trilogy in, in the Back to the Futures, by the way. So whoa, hot take. Noted. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So there you go, dear listener. That's where we're coming from regarding this film and what we might suggest to go alongside it. I think now is the time to get down to business. It's
1: business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's
0: business time. Ooh. And that business it's is, as always, bringing us
1: some spicy analysis to the film. I want to start this off and, and pose a question, because I was Do thinking so. about this, and we may have, should have tackled it last week or maybe next week, I don't know, um, but as we were kind of pulling films for this, uh, there's a trend that occurs in that women directors typically only get to helm uh, low-budget genre why genre. I mean, I'm not not subgenre. I'm talking either horror or comedy. Yeah, right. And, and action. Yeah. Some, but I mean, it's not big budget action. Yeah. I mean, for there's sure. very few. You gotta uh, cut before your teeth. the age of House of Mouse, Hollywood, uh, and you know the MCU and Ava DuVernay. Um, women are really. I mean, we're getting low budget horror films. We're getting low budget comedies, and, and that's really about the ground they they work in. And I, I'm just curious why you think that is. Why aren't you know why aren't they uh, getting the keys to the kingdom. It's a man's, man's, man's world. I yeah, mean, I think the mm, answers mm, mm, are right mm. there. Yeah,
3: I, I think it is, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Arthur, this is a pre-world where, uh, you know, Captain Marvel isn't one of the highest openings in North America of all time. You know, you've got studio executives who are, number one, uh, either uh, subconsciously or consciously sexist, and you have a industry that is afraid of change and afraid of chance, and is all about how to make a safe buck. And, uh, yeah, I think all of these these things add up to a workplace that uh, doesn't offer opportunities to, to female directors, especially when we're talking about the studio system.
0: I think an argument can be made, and I don't really want to make it because I'm not sure it's right, mm-hmm. but I think an argument can be made that overwhelmingly female film directors, just like film directors of uh, you know uh, minority descent, um have a uh, incisive take on contemporary culture that overwhelmingly Hollywood finds to be challenging and more importantly than challenging unmarketable. And so unless you're a female filmmaker that will willingly l- give herself over to being extraordinarily vanilla. And we just looked at last week Mary Lambert's Pet Cemetery which in its politics and in its sort of, you know, again Conversations concerning oppression Is quite vanilla And we look at Wayne's World Which is um, Well it's Mike Myers' movie I mean basically Mike Myers is making a movie Reality Penelope is just like Okay I will tell them where to put the camera and so her direction is pretty limited. So unless you're willing to fall into that sort of place, and you're not Lizzie Borden making Born in Flames, you're not Charlie um, Clark doing her, you know, exceptional work. You're not doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um,
3: unless- well, even outside of director authorship, you're not Christina Ricci getting attached to you know all these projects that she's produced recently. You're not. This this is all about. The ways in which access is limited, right? Right.
0: And so because you are a little scary, you know, because, again, marketability purposes, capitalism purposes, yeah. um, if you're a little bit scary at all, like they just don't want to trust you with the movie. Yeah. It's because, high risk. Because then you'll Spike Lee it if you're a man <laughs> well, and you're black. But even these days, right. I mean, Captain Marvel, as we just mentioned,
3: uh, very famously, uh, Anna Boden and uh, Ryan Fleck didn't get to shoot most of the action. You know, they were pretty much given a mandate from Kevin Feige that the second unit was going to do most of the big action stuff. Um, So even when you have a male co-director who you have, like, this pretty storied relationship with, the studio will still say, nah,
0: we don't trust you. So I mean I think that's what it is. I mean I don't want to I don't want to no, assert that too strongly. I, I get what
3: you're saying. You don't want to paint with this broad brush that you know. Uh, what's where we're looking for here? Uh, you know, puts women or you know any any minority filmmaker protected. You know you don't want to paint with this broad brush that says uh, if you're not a straight you know cis white guy you've got it more figured out than everybody else because that's its own kind of Mm -hmm. Uh, gross thing we don't do
0: like pedestals
3: is another kind of cage right bingo yeah yeah. but I, i get what you're saying at the same time so
2: in relevance to what is going on today with the me too movement yeah for sure what do you guys think about the cop pulling over rob lowe
3: Damn, yeah. What? It, what do you think about it, that? It, that joke does not play super well.
2: I huh? didn't like it very much. It's kind of
3: gross.
0: I don't know
2: what's going on.
3: So, th- the cop at the beginning of the film, uh, I forget the officer's name, but he, he makes a reference. Officer Kulharski. Uh, Officer Kulharski. Uh, yeah. Oh, He, me- he that. mentions the, 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 the all the cavity checks he did on the tour bus and then right. later in the movie. And then
2: he flips a coin after they walk into the diner. where did he get that coin?
3: Mm hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of jokes about uh, the yeah. state violating your bodily cavities in this film, and that's not fun. No, I'm not yeah. a fan.
2: And uh, to divert, uh, Rob Lowe as mis- uh, Mr. Big. What's the What's the producer? Yeah, Mr. Big. Name? Mr. Big. Yeah, is that his name? Okay. Sure,
3: his weird ponytail
0: guy.
2: Yeah, when he's making his way back to uh, the basement where they're doing their show, he, he pulls. He pulls. Yep, he pulls over mm-hmm. Rob Lowe, yeah, because and because he's
0: been like, violated.
2: Snap. Yeah, man. Yeah. The, wa- the waddle's too much. The waddle's
3: too much, I agree. It's, it's, it's gross. It doesn't play as well. Yeah. And I, I, I think, it's like
2: Adrian Brody's uh, performance in The Village. It's just a little too much.
3: Yeah, and I think y- y- <laughs> you bring up a good question, though, Chris, or a good point. That, I- icky. Well, it's it's context and time, right? There, right. We, it's important that we have conversations about the real world and let those conversations inform the arc that we make. Uh, and you're right, I think that's it's that's why it's important to go back and revisit films from, you know, decades gone by. You have to look at the things that we found acceptable in a mainstream film and, and go, oh, fuck. No. Well, we don't do that anymore.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad we don't because, yeah, sure. I find it very, very unpleasant. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think that movie makes it out of the, or that moment in the movie makes it out of the meeting. But I, I think it,
3: it comes back to something we were talking about earlier, and we can just kind of. We've already really covered this, but just to put a pin in it, I think it comes back to that sketch comedy as long form narrative. Right? You just are throwing ideas at the wall at a certain point to get yourself up to ninety minutes. Your j- every joke is greenlit. Yeah. You just yeah. say yep, yep, yep to every joke, and eventually. This this comes back to our questions of diversity, right? There and there are credited female writers on this film, uh, which I I find super interesting. Uh, Just you know the jokes that do make it into this film, but it's uh, Mike Myers, uh, Terry Turner, and Bonnie Turner uh, are are the uh, credited writers, and uh, I think Terry and Bonnie uh, are are both uh, were at the time. Uh, pretty notable SNL writers. Uh, they've got credits on a ton of SNL movies. But, uh, yeah, it's just... You've got, you got a writer's room of SNL writers trying to cobble together a 90-minute film, and it's just not their forte. Yeah. And, it, you know, that's not shade being thrown. That's the nature of the beast. I mean, it, there's a reason you only get one great SNL movie a generation, and uh, I think for our generation, it's McGruber, which I still haven't got to, but apparently is amazing. Uh, maybe we'll get to it on the show someday. But, yeah, I, I, I think... The, the cavity search uh, comes from the same place as the the Scooby-Doo en- ending and the Mega Happy ending. Yeah, They, they come from this place of, let's
0: go, just keep trying things to see if they work. And, you know, sometimes they don't
2: work. Layered.
0: So here's the thing that I, I, I tend to have as a problem with comedies, again, sort of comedian-led, you know, uh, that sort of actor-led. We, we talked of, about oh, this way, way back way, on Fish Called Wanda. Fish Called yeah. Wanda, same, same idea, yeah. is that what we're going to do is we're going to write a story... In which um, I am the star, and I am working together with the writers' room. I'm working together with the director, and I'm working together with casting. And I'm Mike Myers, or I am Dana Carvey to a lesser extent in this case. And I'm going to pitch myself with super hot Laura Flynn Boyle and right, super hot Tia Rare. and super hot. Tia Guerrera, and I'm rejecting all the sexual advances and romantic advances of this one hot girl in favor of this other hot girl, because these uh, become these weird nerd fantasies. Um, They become something of a, a symptom of late capitalism where you think that If you would really realize your potential, everyone would understand that you're a great comedic artist. You're a great um, sort of rock and roll TV show guy. I mean I don't even know what genre you place this sort of public access program in. But I'm this great you know, gift to all the things in life. And if someone would just see how awesome I am, they would realize I'm not a loser who still lives with their mother because of, again, the circumstances of late capitalism. He's got this great connection of hairnets and name tags, and that's really his problem. But his – weird solution out of it is to get the girl and then to somehow make it big in the media industry. Well,
3: this is, uh, you know, I, I almost tagged this film uh, in Building the Syllabus, but I, I think The Mask from 1994 interrogates these questions in a really interesting way. Uh, this idea of specifically like 90s nice guy masculinity, right? This mm-hmm. idea that I, I think is pervasive throughout the 90s, but also the 80s. Uh, of, well, if, if only they could see it. I mean, it's it's a kind of we we talk about these sorts of characters now because they are uh, the type of cultural zeitgeist that have led us to you know the the incel movement, and the men's rights activists. These guys that are like, well, you know, oh, if women just saw what a great guy I am, motherfucker, no, you're not a great guy. Everything you do is, an, you know, an attempt to exchange niceties for That's sex. why
2: I find Five Hundred Days of Summer kind of gross as an adult. Well, and I think
3: you're supposed to. Oh, yeah. I, I think I, I think you're supposed to be disgusted with jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Kind of both of them. If not on the first watch, definitely by the second. Yeah, yeah. Zooey Deschanel's no prize in that movie. Her, summer is not supposed to be likable, but again, I don't think neither is Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. Uh, and and I think the mask is all about these, you know, the uh, sublimating these desires and all that shit. Like all all this, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that film gets directly to the subtext of you know subconscious repression, but it's the same thing. It's it's these these guys who are very clearly handsome in the way a comedian is handsome, uh, saying if only I had a chance to shine and show the world my true voice, everyone would know how great I am. Right, and, and I think uh, they both kind of are interrogating this in the same sort of wacky sensibility. But I, I think the likability of a comedian paints these. This kind of character is likable When that kind of character isn't likable
0: What's really really troubling though Is the idea that I deserve this Exactly Like again I'm a nice guy I didn't try to murder you So why aren't you sleeping with me
3: And I think this film avoids that problem By just letting Tia Carrera also find Wayne very compelling
0: Which, Well again they wrote it that way though Exactly I mean, that's it's, the, the... Yeah exactly it's written that if you just saw me for a second, you would just absolutely fall in my arms. Yeah. And if you and it creates that sort of culture in which men sort of expect, aren't you supposed to fall in my arms because I'm not a bad guy? And so therefore, you should automatically, you know, your yeah. loin should water for me. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's really disgusting.
3: It's The nice
2: guy syndrome. Yeah. Bingo.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, I I, I think uh, this is spoken to directly in the mask. That's why I brought it up. I mean, there's this whole thing about how uh, Jim Carrey's character Stanley Ipkiss wrote a letter to some advice column about being a nice guy. Uh, and the journalist who uh, answered his column is all nice to him until uh, spoiler alerts for the mask. It turns out she works for the bad guy. So the woman who will accept you for who you are you can't be trusted. Uh, mm. You have to be an alpha bull, otherwise you will be a beta cuck. It's it's just, I mean, it's, it took 20 fucking years for it to, to come to maturation and fru- fruition, but these the, these are the reasons we interrogate what we're saying in our popular culture,
0: right? It's important. So let's talk about one last thing. And so I didn't recommend this for expanding the syllabus, but I think it's an important conversation. Well, let's
3: go ahead and but real quick, let's make sure we've put a pin and wrapped up on this. Uh, I, I want to revisit the question that I asked at the top of the show. Uh, out, now that we've done all the legwork, is this film wholesome enough to avoid being horny in a gross way? No. Okay. I don't think so either. I think it tries, no. but I think it fails. I think we're all... We, did we I'll all come also, down and no? No. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you guys... Uh, ha, Feel like uh, I'm right here because I, I know that I'm trying to impart. maybe by
1: early '90s standards. Yeah, I think I'm trying to impart. twenty years removed, thirty almost thirty years removed. Yeah, yeah. I'm
3: trying to Ugh. impart intention, which is a dangerous thing to do when we're talking about film. But I, I think I don't know that the film. I think that Mike Myers doesn't as see as it we've as we've always said. Yeah, others can authors be, and be damned. damned. Yeah, whatever it's trying to do, it fails at in terms of its sexual politics. I, okay, I yeah. think
2: Dana Carvey steals the spotlight. I mean the. Though the times when he's pinged off his chair, I think he's getting a hard on so just so intensely it just shoots him across the room, man. Which is a gross joke. <laughs> Which is fine. It's, yeah, it's funny.
3: I get it, but and and I think you you bringing up uh, Garth makes a good point. I think Garth is the character that it more successfully succeeds in that
0: regard. On I think.
3: correct,
2: uh, that's
3: correct, but not that much more.
0: No, not not that much because it's still it's still Claudia Schiffer and it's still whatever his little blonde dream girl is. Did too. she
2: sue them, or is that a rumor?
0: I don't know. I that's don't know true. anything about
2: that. I don't either. I, I, I just rem- I remember reading something Th- one Shipper time that Shoot she. Them. None too happy. Interesting. About that joke. Listener,
3: if you know anything about uh, Claudia Schiffer being mad about Mike Myers and Dana Carvey talking about how she gives them a boner.
2: Yeah, I want to hear about that spilt tea.
3: I would be mad about that, honestly. Oh, well, yeah. Sorry, Dustin. I didn't mean to railroad you,
0: bud. What did you want to talk about? I want to talk about authenticity versus sincerity. Uh, Lionel- Holy shit. That's what I wrote. Yeah, I want yeah. to talk about that, too. So, again, that's Lionel Trilling's famous book, and there's a chapter out of it that gets assigned. To- Pretty much every grad student in English ever in the history of ever. And this idea that we no longer live in a a moment where we're trying to be sincere. We're trying to be sort of very, very true. That sincerity is something of a joke and that authenticity is the only thing that matters. And there's a weird way because you're talking about this idea of wholesomeness. Like there's a way in which Wayne's world is attempting at Wayne Campbell being sincere but also the the entire narrative of the film is about are you a fake, are you a poser, are you a sellout, and those kind of things. And so the, the two parts I want to tackle is this, and I don't know how much I want to say about it other than there's this weird affectation that um, Myers does with his wing – there's this moment where he's speaking to the camera or he's speaking to the audience. And he sort of stops and pauses and smiles in the most, again – what's the word I'm looking for? Artificial kind of way. Okay. Right, you know what I'm talking about, like that sort of continuous affect Mm -hmm. affectation that he's doing. Is he attempting at being sincere and making fun of that and sincerity? And then the the film's discussion of "Don't be a sellout, man," and we we stole it all back and we brought it all back to our basement. That's where it's at. Is that I guess a film that's emblematic of Trilling's discussion of authenticity versus sincerity
3: well i think the text of the film very explicitly addresses it with uh, the scene that chris and i referenced earlier the uh, the selling out scene mm-hmm. uh, which i think is the moment where Ma- mike myers is saying i am a sellout
0: yeah oh the pepsi i am yeah. the
3: pepsi pizza new uh little yellow difference <laughs> scene yeah I-, I think that's mike myers saying i am a sellout i am here doing the thing i i would have done for free because i used to do it for free And now I got paid a million dollars to help make this movie or however much his paycheck was. Mm. Um, and I, I think that scene addresses it explicitly. I don't, I don't think Mike Myers. Does he make it
0: okay because he's being authentic about it? Like, I'm. I i do not know. I, that's the question, right? Here I am doing the thing.
2: He's laughing at himself, I guess. And I don't care. So here I,
0: I'm I'm being real, right? The show community has an
3: entire episode subplot. I think it's like a two episode subplot about a subway being opened on their campus. And the show is like trying to thread the needle of like taking those Subway product placement dollars and still be true to itself, right? I think anytime you're making art for money, anytime you are accepting a donation from a patron, whether it's Wayne's World or the Sistine Chapel, it is about an artist trying to find a way to be authentic to themselves without pissing off the money. Are
2: you talking about sandwiches?
3: I'm always talking about sandwiches.
2: Like sandwiches, Subway.
3: What do you mean? Yeah, sandwiches. Oh, okay. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Not. Not a. I'm not
2: very familiar with that show. That's fair. So I just wanted to make uh, sure.
3: But, but again, I, I think this all comes back to uh, the same thing, right? Yeah. It's how do you sure how do you get paid to do the things you love and be honest to yourself? Well, that marriage
1: of art and commerce, which go hand in hand,
3: right? Right. Yeah. right. Well, and I, I think the sincerity question is uh, a really important one to be asking. I think it's something that uh, uh, I mean, we'll we'll stay in our wheelhouse with film criticism. I think it's uh, the same thing, right? Is being sincere and saying you love whatever thing you love more important than the cultural cachet of, uh, of having the hottest take or the uh, the most surprising opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Or or do you just you know explain your opinion, which I think. To the three of us, uh, what we like in film criticism is film criticism that... Or film analysis that says, this is what I like. And we're just going to talk about, I'm going to explain why I like this thing to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, this is what I, I think is interesting about this. That's At the end of the day, there is no subjectivity in the discussion of, of something. It's all just like doing your best to articulate your opinion. right? Uh, and I don't... I, I know that Wayne's World wants to have that conversation. I just don't know. I'm with you. I don't know how successfully it does. Yeah. I think it does... It's interesting that it brings it up, and it's, I think, the highlight of the movie. I think it's honestly one of the best bits in the entire film. But, yeah, the, the fact that they name the question doesn't mean they've answered the question. Right.
2: As far as the authenticity thing goes, I, and I think a lot of movies, and now and always, have this problem. The pop culture callbacks, I mean... Especially
3: comedies, yeah. Yeah,
2: I mean... Yes, there are some jokes in there that are just, man, I did not see that one coming. I'm just going to slap my knee right now. But there's like the James Bond thing. It is funny. Yeah. It is funny. But yeah. there's and the re re when he's killing his donut man. I mean, there's like they're just trying to get like you said, they're trying to get to that 90 minute mark. And there's just there's so much. Well, and I
3: think the the Psycho reference is a little bit easier because, you know, it's, the movie's already 30 years out, a classic. The one that's diceier is the Terminator 2 reference, yeah, a reference that's... to a movie that came out like 12 months before, before this Before that, movie. Yeah. yeah. Quite close. And Quite close. it they just so happens that the joke holds up because T2 became kind of a cultural Huge. phenomenon. It's very funny. But it mm. very easily could not be. Right. I mean, if hmm. people don't know Terminator 2, that joke doesn't land. Becca looked at me uh, while we were watching it. Uh, oh, I usually don't say her first name on the show. Uh, Dr. Fiance looked at me while we were watching it and went, I know I should get this She's joke, not. but I don't. Go ahead. What's that? Nothing. I, I was I was wrong. Go on. Uh, didn't get the joke. Was like I know I should get this joke, but I don't. Never seen it. Yeah. I
2: yeah. It, I just have to say, oh okay. This is a some people will reference. understand this, and I just do not. Yeah. That's uh, okay. I mean, it,
3: it, you got to be careful in pop culture. Jokes, and that's man. why I didn't. Well.
2: I didn't read Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. Love the movie. I,
3: I I love how much you love that movie. I, by the way,
2: I do enjoy it. It it just warms my heart, but it's. As I've heard, there's just so much pop culture written in the book where it's like, okay, we get it. Yeah, Jurassic we... Park is a thing. Like, yeah. it's up there.
0: There's a thing called Jurassic Park? Yeah, it's very popular. I didn't know anything about it. All right, um, any other big themes that we want to discuss? Well, let's render a verdict in that case. Uh, Shell for Trash with the
1: film Wayne's World.
0: I go to you first, Arthur Gordon.
1: I will... Lightly put it on the shelf I I, I do uh, Daintily I think in a long line of uh, comedy history I think it has earned its place uh, uh, As part of its pop cultural impact But also uh, Upholding a long tradition that, that isn't as readily seen anymore And so uh, For those reasons I, I, I put it on there
0: Alright, all right. Well, Carissa Does it go on the shelf? I mean as much as you love it? It's on the shelf Yeah
2: But there will be some dust on it
0: Okay, fair enough. Yep, Fair enough. Yeah. What, do you, what do you say, Dalton? The shelf or trash?
3: Yeah, I'm kind of with Arthur. It's it's one of those things where uh, I, I would say even more than Blade Runner a couple of weeks ago, it's not a question of does being a important piece of art and an influential piece of art get you on the shelf. This is a question of does being a cultural artifact get you on the shelf? Does being a film so, so much of its time, a film very much of 1992, does, does being an expression of a studio comedy from 92 warrant being placed on the, tra- on the shelf or in the trash? I, I'm going to go ahead and say shelf as well, because I, I think you're right, Arthur. I think it does connect the surrealism of Monty Python, you know, all the work they're doing throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I think all the work they're doing paves the way for Wayne's World, which then paves the way for SpongeBob SquarePants. I mean, <laughs> the introduction of And we've talked about this on the show a lot. I've talked about this on the show a lot. I think the introduction of surrealism into mainstream comedy is a big deal. And I I think that this film is a great example of, this is a studio movie with a lot of damn nonsense. Uh, Whether it's, you know, the door with the James Bond guys or Ed O'Neill hijacking the the fourth wall breaking and and Wayne Campbell uh, saying, hey, what are you doing? No, 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 you don't get to break the fourth wall. Garth and I break the fourth wall. Garth then has nothing to say to the to the camera. right. It's just so funny. and And these touches of, again, I think, weirdness in a mainstream movie get us to adaptation. I, I, I think these kinds of things are important because when they happen in bit capital A in quotes, underlined italicized art film or serious movies, I think having a culture that is fluent in this kind of silliness, that makes it easier for them to engage with art that's a little bit more off the beaten path or or films that are uh surreal but a little bit more self-serious. So again, yeah, I think for all those reasons as like baby's first steps into uh into a uh, meta comedies, I think this is a great one. All right, well, <laughs> all right, great in terms of uh uh being shallow and still deep enough for you to find something to to play with.
0: So I'm I'm gonna say trash, guys. That's okay. And and the reason why it. is there are better Saturday Night Live movies. Okay, name two. Uh, well, Coneheads for one. Uh, Coneheads <laughs> is better. It's funnier.
2: <laughs> I've it. never seen Coneheads. Watch it
0: now. It's funnier and it's better. I mean, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I mean, uh, and anything with uh, stupid. What's his face? Um, Happy Gilmore. Adam Sandler. Those don't count.
1: Those are Happy Gilmore. Waterboys is the closest one.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, so those guys moving on like there's there's Fair better stuff though. out there, okay, so um, there's better Penelope's Ferris movies with the Clan of western civilization um and and there are better movies that are just like sort of full out ribald nineties comedies okay. that are wrestling with questions i I would say Ace Ventura pet detective is a better experience, and it has weirder sexuality, and I think even though it may or may not fall on their side of right. It's more interesting the fact that it raises the questions in a much more um, uh, inter- in, in, in interrogates the questions in a much uh, deeper way.
3: I think uh, I think that's probably true of the mask as well. Yeah, um, you know, just in terms of asking those questions, whether it again whether it means to or not, it it does have a little bit more depth there.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, it, it it's good. It's fine. It's fun. But I think there's better things to spend your time with. And I'm not necessarily saying any of those things belong on your shelf. But, that being said... You're saying the existence of better things uh, the perc- gate, the, per- precludes yeah. the shelving of this particular instance. Now, that, I mean, if it's streaming and your friends are wanting to watch it And they call two friends and they tell, that's a Wayne's World 2 joke. But, um, (laughs) if you do that, yes, indeed, let's watch the movie. Fine. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, I'm like, yeah, I mean, we didn't even talk about Alice Cooper being awesome in this movie.
2: Oh, Uh, his scene is terrific. He, did you notice that Garth is still wearing his, uh, zappy belt?
0: Oh my god, I And that did not. Scene, That's he incredible. Is, yeah, th- there's a weird continuity problem there. Yeah. That's yeah, funny.
2: and uh, I'm just going to be very picky here. In the opening scene where Roblo was in bed with um, you know, the lady of the week. Yeah. There's red wine and champagne flutes. That's all I'm going to say.
0: That's just
2: trashy. Just throws me off.
3: Yeah, trashy. Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. That's a mistake. Roblo's a scumbag. That's in a set this film. problem. Uh if the rib condoms weren't enough to tip you off, the red wine and the champagne flutes certainly would be. All right. This guy's um, trash. There
0: you go. Well, there. that's that's the show there in our discussion. I guess we need to announce what we're doing next week because I guess women's history continues to go on. It continues Yay, every day, forever and always. I think
3: that's a good thing. I, for one, disagree with Kirsten Thurkelson from last week. I don't think there should only be one month, but she said it, not me. She,
0: I, I totally disagree because that's like half the population. <laughs> they get half the months at least. Yeah, I've
3: really been thinking about it a lot since that last episode we recorded. It's been I, a minute since then, and I've slept on it as well, and it's troubling me. It's the... Didn't sit well. So, yeah, we're going to do one more of these. Uh, we've decided to go ahead and continue. Uh, you know, As we've discussed, we're, we're trying to do more on the show outside of the good trash umbrella, that that umbrella of genre films. We're trying to say, well, just because something is artsy doesn't mean it's going to get brought up in a film studies course. So we're going to talk about Agnes Varda's Faces Places from uh, 2018,
0: 2017. I, uh, 17. Okay.
3: We, we say it with a question mark. Agnes Varda's very recent documentary, Faces Places. I love Agnes Varda. I'm excited about this in crazy ways. Uh, Agnes Varda is extremely well-respected in the world of documentary filmmaking. And uh, I don't know that, uh, you know, again, I only took the one film studies course, but I know you guys don't really uh, having a lot more... Film education than I do.
0: I know neither of you study documentary a lot. Well, she's um she's a left banker, so she's like part of the French New Wave. Yeah. So she's right alongside with uh, Jean-Luc Godard, but he's a right bank guy, so he's much more popular than Varda or Chris Marker or some of these other cats. So well, yeah, yeah.
3: I, it seems to me that documentary also gets studied more in journalism than it does yeah. in film criticism, which I think is. Interesting. And maybe we'll talk about it next week. So there you go. That's what's happening next week.
0: Um, I guess now's the time for plugs.
3: Yeah. Now's the time for plugs. Well, we've got Carissa Sanford on here. Uh, sis, what you got?
2: You know, I have got a friend. Her name is Chelsea and she's been doing a in the backlog, uh, series for her t-shirt shop on Etsy. Um, it's called Crackers and Milk and of each order is going to go to the End the Backlog organization, which is going to be all the untested rape kits in the United States. So very good cause there, listeners. Um,
3: Good time to uh, remember that's what we call it is Ending the Backlog, but there's no backlog. They're just not doing it. So throw money at this problem, and maybe those dipshits will uh, test those kits, huh? I'm telling you um so that's crackers and milk on etsy. crackers
2: and milk on etsy uh also uh
3: your your lovely husband uh nick his film the harvesters is now available on amazon prime
2: it is i am so proud of him so
3: if you've listened to the show and heard nick on here and w- always wondered what his uh, deal's about well one of uh, his films is now streaming uh the first feature-length film he'll probably allow you to watch although he made several in high school uh the harvesters streaming on amazon prime uh, other plugs
0: uh, It's always y- nice to plug Nick on the show
3: can-
2: Hey if you can plug him I can plug him
3: <laughs> Oh man it's great when you're almost 30 And your sister can still make you blush That's fun uh, so if you wanna get plugged, uh that's my job. <laughs> you can find the show on Twitter, uh that's at good underscore trash for all your good trash needs, not just this show, the genre cast, but info on everything we're doing, whether it is uh the praise down with Heath and Alex, a tight or a loose five with Wampus Reynolds, uh any of the written content we've got, you can go over to at good underscore trash on Twitter to keep up with us. You can also just go to good dot com to find everything we're doing. Uh please rate, subscribe, you know that deal. Uh go go to the iTunes, go to Stitcher. Rate, review, subscribe. It helps us out somehow, I guess. Algorithms are a lie. Uh, Finally, if you want to help us keep the lights on, we're not selling out. We tried it once. Uh, You will not see us uh, hawking Pepsi. You could not pay me enough to sell that swill. I'm a Coke man for life. It's poison water. Uh, I do drink Coca-Cola, though, and I would take their money. Uh, nope. No, I wouldn't. Dustin wouldn't let me. Uh, if you want to help us keep the lights on, it's patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, there's talk about us buying hell.com. It's only $69 a year to own that web domain. Nice. Apparently, Alex Sanchez uh, is trapped in hell right now over on the praise down. That show's got a deep canon. It's very complicated. Uh, but if uh, if we can get the praise down, the rights to hell.com apparently alex gets to join the show again so if you want to give us 69 dollars a year we'll buy hell.com uh so there you go that's the thing patreon.com forward slash gtm or stroke gtm you hear it sometimes i guess uh help us keep the lights on fam uh that's it we're
0: done thanks for tuning in we'll keep talking you keep watching we'll see you all next time
2: party on